we talked a little bit about massage parlors, and that's still just a huge problem. I know y'all do y'all doing, you know, yeoman's work around that. And I really deeply appreciate all of what Elijah Rising is doing. And this is one of those places, one of those issues where I think we can all agree uh, we need better laws. Like there's Amen. no question. Advocacy is just not cutting it here. There's, yeah. not, the, there's not the tools in the toolbox to, to shut down these 900, 800, 900 yeah. across Texas. Hey, welcome to the Elijah Rising podcast, where we discuss the myths, the misconceptions, and the most asked questions about sex trafficking. I'm Adam, and today I am very honored to be joined by Jamie Carruthers. Uh, Welcome, Jamie. We're happy to have you on the podcast today. Uh, Jamie is a senior staff attorney at Children at Risk, and Children at Risk is a Texas-based nonprofit that serves as a catalyst for change to improve the quality of life for children through strategic research, public policy analysis, education, collaboration, and advocacy. Jamie is a graduate of the University of Houston Law Center, uh, which now I'm compelled to say go Cougs. Uh, He worked in commercial and corporate litigation and has extensive experience in crafting legislative policy. Welcome to the podcast, Jamie. Thanks, Adam. I'm so glad to be here. Um, before we jump into what we're talking about on the episode today, would you just um, kind of explain to our listeners and our viewers, what does Jamie Carruthers do uh, Monday through Friday, nine to five? And, and what, is, what is Children at Risk doing uh, specifically as it relates to combating sex trafficking? Sure. So um, it seems like since March, most of my time is spent doing this. You know, I'm on yeah. Zoom a lot. I think everybody is. Right? <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. But we're traveling a lot, too. So I think our work kind of can fall into two big buckets right now. And the first bucket is, would be programmatic, where we're working to build anti-demand coalitions and build uh, teams of volunteer recruits, mainly of men, to do, to do anti-demand work. So yeah. we're working kind of a two-pronged approach across Texas here in Houston, but in the greater Austin area, San Antonio, Dallas, Fort Worth. Um, and we're going to be doing, we're moving into Corpus this weekend. We're doing a big training there in Corpus as well. And what we're doing there is we're trying to, one, build coalitions uh, with stakeholders, NGOs, but also very important to have law enforcement and prosecutors at the table together. Yeah. Of demand reduction. Absolutely. And then get teams of guys together uh, to actually do online disruptions and attempt to commercial sex purchases. We're really, really anti-demand focused work. And that's through the governor's office, uh, child sex trafficking team. And we're very grateful for their support. Yeah. And the other big thing we're getting ready for, the other big bucket would be legislative, right? We're getting ready for session. It's going to be a session unlike anyone's ever seen before. Um, we're refining our tactics in addition to like getting all of our bills drafted and getting all of our messaging and educational materials together. Yeah, that's great. Thank, um, Sounds like you guys are doing a lot. And I know that that's actually just scratching the surface of what Children at Risk does um, holistically. So um, we appreciate that. And so, and that, that you, you've kind of already set up exactly what we want to talk about on the episode today. We're really asking the question, um, is the politicization of sex trafficking helping or hurting the work to end sex trafficking? And so just on the surface, like that, that question off the bat, what's your kind of... Um, gut reaction to that question? I don't have a definitive answer. I, when you say politicization, and, and I'm assuming we're going to look at kind of like the more not actual policy work, not actual right. stuff that's happening either in the federal capital or here in Texas. Um, when you look at 
there's kind of two ways that I see it happening. One is more new, and that's sort of the cute one. I'll put in a little bucket of QAnon. Right, right. Um, kind of stuff, uh, these kind of outlandish rumors and things. Uh, and then there's the other, which has always kind of been with us here in Texas, but larger in other areas. Uh, here in Texas, a small but very vocal minority wanting to legalize sex work and, and talking about sex work and, and presenting sex work as a positive uh, yeah. career. So neither one of those things I think is particularly good. The QAnon stuff, um, the problem, the main problem with the QAnon stuff is as it gets debunked and when it gets debunked, mm -hmm. it takes away legitimacy from actual human trafficking. It puts real victim stories in a lesser light and it makes people think this isn't really a problem. It's just yeah. people have too much time on their hands who are on the internet yeah. um, doing this. Now, I'm not doing this to disparage QAnon. I don't know that much about it or the process or where that information comes from. Right. Um, I've read some of this stuff. It reads like tea leaves to me. It seems like you can make a lot of what I've seen mean anything you want. I get that some people don't feel that way. Sure. But a lot of like the Wayfair, the Wayfair thing. This is, this is simply, this is not, this is not. Yeah. Human trafficking is happening. Children are being purchased and sold. It's not happening through a major online retailer uh, disguising them as, as an Ottoman, you know? Um, right, right, you know, it's, right. No, it's happening near your house. Um, it's happening in a hotel near your house. It's happening in a massage parlor near your kid's school. It's happening online. You could yourself go to a website and immediately purchase commercial sex and possibly purchase a minor. Right. Um, this is all very real. And this other need, this need to kind of make it more conspiratorial, uh, I don't think that's very helpful. And the sex worker thing also, again, uh, we're, uh, I'll firm, we're firmly opposed to it. There is no meaningful choice when it comes to sex work. People mm -hmm. who have a meaningful choice with do this. Um, the same systems that allow adults to be exploited through sex work, also yeah. children to be exploited. So on that side, we are, I can say definitively, we are 100% against that. The QAnon stuff, I mean, there's plenty of real uh, information out there and real things people can do. Yeah. Yeah. I th yeah. Thank you for your response there. I think it's the perfect response. Um, uh, uh, seeing the issue from both sides of that politicization. Um, so we obviously are recording this podcast on, uh, let's see what is today, November 5th. Uh, we are currently awaiting the results of a presidential election, which this is kind of dragging out longer than we've seen in previous elections. Uh, and so there is just to be very honest, there's a lot of anxiety all over the country um, centered on these two individuals, which guy is going to win, which guy's going to lose, and how's that all going to shake out? Now, we know, I mean, from our constituency that follows the work of Elijah Rising, they're, they're all very active. They're very active in the work to end sex trafficking. Um, and, I, and I assume that many of them are very, have very deep stakes held in this election, no matter the side that they're on. I'm wondering from your perspective as somebody who works on policy consistently and is gearing up for a legislative session here in Texas um, to come like no other, I think is the way that you put it. Like it is, is the outcome of this election is the determination of who wins Pennsylvania. Like, is that, is that going to dramatically impact the way that you're preparing for the upcoming Texas session? It's not particularly what we saw down ballot in Texas was not much of a shift. Um, if there had been a huge shift, we would have prepared for that. I don't think it would have in any form or fashion been uh, the end of the world. Yeah. And we would, you know, when you have a larger incoming class, sometimes that can, that can change the dynamics. You know, when you've got newbie 
newbie representatives and newbie senators. Sure. There wasn't that big of a shakeup. So in Texas, we didn't see that. Now, federally, um, I will say this, whether you love Donald Trump or you hate Donald Trump, but it seems like everybody falls in love. One yeah. of the can't. Very few people have like, you know, so I've true. Really thought about it. So um, true. <laughs> and no matter how you feel like he's handled other issues on this issue, on this issue particularly, I think he has done well. Um, I think he's done consistently well and prioritized it. They've got a new division in Homeland Security over human, over human trafficking, back pay yeah. shut down under his watch. Uh, he's consistently made it a priority in speeches as well. I think that is great. And I hope that no matter who the next president is, yeah. um, that work continues. There's no reason for that. Yeah. It's a bipartisan issue. And, and I'll probably see and, it later. Increase funding as well. I mean, we've we've directly seen an increase in funding for anti-trafficking work and restorative, you know, long-term restorative care for survivors, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a priority. And there's no reason that needs to be attached to a political party or a person. Um, that should that is great work and everybody should be proud of it. And no matter who takes the helm, that work should continue. There's no reason for it to stop. And I, and I really hope that it doesn't. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. So, but what the work that you're doing though um, isn't really at the federal level, is it? No, not too much. We sit in on some stuff and we, we, uh, I go to, I attend some virtual meetings, but yeah. our hand is not particularly heavy in federal policy. So, um, so you're primarily working at the state level, uh, which we appreciate um, as, as another Texas-based nonprofit. Uh, we definitely appreciate the work that you're doing there. Let me ask this, though. Uh, I think there's probably a question in some of our viewers and listeners' minds that perhaps you know, crafting legislation and working on policy, maybe that's not the most effective method. For, for ending sex trafficking. Like it's just a side thing. Like, yeah, we need to work on policy, but what we really need to be doing is being out there in the streets and advocating and, and doing intervention and, and doing exits and all these kind of things. So, which we do that. Elijah Rising does that. You know, there's all sorts of advocacy and intervention organizations throughout the state. So to that question, uh, Jamie, uh, is crafting policy, is being on uh, in Austin during the session is that an effective way to end or to combat or to reduce demand, you know, of trafficking? I think it's not so much a matter of uh, effectiveness. It's really a matter of necessity. We have to have a framework for society of laws. We have to have a framework of laws that permits um, a correct response, a robust response. And trafficking tactics change. The law has to change you know, with that as well. And it can be small things like increasing, but not a small thing, but increasing fire penalties to deter demand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. All, all of the research shows that higher criminal penalties deter criminal activity if they're meaningfully enforced, right? So there's a few prongs to that, but we can, we can do one of those. We can increase fire penalties, but you look at other things like um, there's been an upsurge in civil litigation on behalf of trafficking victims. Mm-hmm. Trafficking victim, and obviously no one's going to sue a pimp. A pimp's not going to have any thing to attach or take, right? For you civil, you're looking for monetary damages. The right. corporations that enable this have. And we uh, we were instrumental in drafting Chapter 98 of the Texas Civil Practice and Remedies Code, which permits that civil action. We've refined that and improved it. It's been very gratifying to see people use that. And as we see people using that against corporations, corporations are now saying, okay, now it's costing me some money. I need to turn around and look at my internal policies. Am I training my people? Are my facilities being used misused? Right. Are my being misused? Um, is my internet platform being misused? What can I do? And so I think the law, the law is the biggest lever that we have. And so downstream, there's a tremendous amount of important work that has to be done. Obviously, passing laws doesn't really do anything. And no one, no one work acts on it. 
And of course, we can't pass laws saying, you know, you need to go out and restore and help victims. You need to have a heart for this cause. You need to be in mm. the game and advocating and, and, and making your voice heard and actually extending a helping hand, all these kind of things. That's, it, it, to me, it's, it's, it's like the yin yang. It's, it's actually a cohesive whole, but there are certainly loopholes we look at, you know, just across the board. And there's a tremendous amount that can still be done mm. uh, around this. But I think when we look at, you know, from, from licensing standards to make sure that victims are being in the safe houses are being run correctly to, you know, ensuring that criminal penalties are extremely effective and extremely deterrent against bad actors, but don't um, hurt victims as well. Right. Constant balancing act. And it requires a lot of attention to make sure that, you know, we're, we're, we're not having, we're passing laws we need without unintended consequences. Sure. Yeah, I, I wonder if you could, I know, um, I think it was the previous uh, legislative session here in Texas where I think you were instrumental and, and your organization was instrumental in um, empowering landowners uh, to, I believe, evict those who are running um, brothels or, you know, illicit massage businesses, I think it's a technical term, um, on their properties. And so um, w- would you speak to that just a little bit? Like, what was that and did that go well? Uh, it passed both houses and died in a local and uncontested calendar committee of the house before it went to floor vote. Um, okay. It's an unusual place to die, but it can't happen there. Um, that bill essentially would have, and I'm going to try not to get too granular here. Sure, that's okay. <laughs> kind of paint kind of a picture or a hypothetical, say I opened a daycare, Jamie's daycare in a strip center and the landlord, um, and I'm locked into a four-year lease or a five-year lease. Sure. I'm locked in and I've done commercial litigation, uh, commercial real estate litigation on both sides for lessors and, and, and landlords. And let me tell you, Texas is very landlord friendly. So I'm in that yeah. four year lease. I am in that four year lease. <laughs> and then the landlord says, you know what? I'm going to open up to a happy ending spa. I'm going to put them They're going to be right next door to your daycare. Well, that's not great for me. It's not great for the safety of my clients. Sure. Uh, for my business. Uh, it's a terrible in so many ways. This bill would have allowed me to tell to find evidence that they're engaged that I reasonably suspect they're engaged in prostitution and human trafficking probably very readily available on sites like web rub maps, adult spa finder, um, even Yelp will have some yeah, of these. Absolutely. Um, numerous sources you can find this. Give written notice to my landlord. The landlord would have 30 days to investigate and evict that that tenant. Also if they're unlicensed, most of them are unlicensed as well. That's yeah. pretty that's pretty uh, cut and dried. Um, if the landlord didn't evict, I would then have the right to break my lease and walk away. So gotcha. at least I'm no longer tied to that lease. And it disincentivizes landlords who also want to attract legitimate businesses from leasing to illicit, illicit massage businesses. Not, not legitimate massage, but the ones right. for prostitution and trafficking. We're going to be trying. I know that there was a sense that that could be misused. I personally didn't see it by a vindictive tenant or a, or a, or a tenant. For, so we're, we're trying right now to... It's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a delicate thing because if you put in too many safeguards, the law becomes toothless. It's no longer useful for the tenant. Sure. Um, but we're trying now to see what can we do for this next session to make it people a little more comfortable that it can't be misused without making it, you know, nothing more than window dressing. Yeah, sure. We're going to take a break in the podcast here for just a minute. Um, and when we come back on the other side, Jamie, I wonder if we can just uh, jump into what you guys are doing, how you're preparing for the next legislative session, what bills uh, you're working on, what kind of policy approaches you're taking, and then really give our listeners an on-ramp for how they can become involved um, and, and help and be more active. So uh, 
Hang in there with us. We'll see you in just a minute. Absolutely. When we began to face the issue of sex trafficking, we were devastated by the number of survivors who struggled to find lasting and safe employment. We realized that a major part of the recovery process had to be economic empowerment. The women that we serve have survived immense harm, but their resilience and strength inspire us every day. These women are creators, innovators, and visionaries. They deserve the freedom to thrive and pursue their greatness. At Elijah Rising, we create hand-built goods that empower women who have survived human trafficking. We know that you're gonna love what we make at Elijah Rising Goods because we believe in the goods that we create and we believe in the amazing women that produce them. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, again, I'm joined by Jamie Carruthers, a senior staff attorney for Children at Risk. And so, Jamie, um, in this second half of the podcast, let's just talk about what's coming up next. Um, what policies, what bills are you working on um, uh, for the upcoming Texas legislative session? Sure. Thanks, Adam. I'd love to talk about that. Um, it's going to be, like we alluded to earlier, it's going to be an interesting interesting session, right? And our, our tactics have changed. Our bill, our bill agenda remains the same. Um, but this is really going to be a session where no one really knows what's going to happen. We always have a human trafficking advocacy day in January. You guys come to that. We're so glad to have you be partners with yeah. us in that. Um, obviously, there'll be no mass gatherings in the Capitol. There'll be no right. groups going from office to office. Uh, written testimony is going to be key this session as well, I think. And we're going to, it's always, you know, you're always in there, you're being concise, you're making your case, you're getting out. It's going to be even tighter. Yeah. You know? But um, to get more into the depth of what we're going to be looking at, we're looking at, and there seems to be an appetite for this now, we've been pushing for this for several sessions, is increasing buyer penalties. Last session, we had the Texas model, which increased buyer penalties from, well, for buyers and sellers, it used to be Class B misdemeanor, sorry, mid-level misdemeanor. Class A, our highest for the second arrest. Class, uh, sorry, Class B, Class B, Class A, and then state jail felony. And so for buyers, that changed to Class A for the first arrest and state jail felony for the second arrest. There's two or three other states that have penalties around there. Um, we're going to make, try to make it state jail felony for the first arrest. We would be standing mm. alone with that. Um, we think that sends the strongest deterrent message possible, a felony sure. deal. And yeah. it also helps ensure that prosecutors take this seriously. You know, when you're a prosecutor with a line of felony cases out the door, a buyer gets arrested and popped with a class B misdemeanor. He's got resources. He's lawyered up. That lawyer's in your office. You're going to make a deal. It's just a matter of survivor. Survivor. Right. Right. You've got felonies to prosecute. Um, so buyers, you hear a lot of complaints. Buyers walk away with a slap on the wrist or plead down or plead out completely. Yeah. Um, this will help negate that and capitalize on law enforcement's hard work. We see law enforcement really stepping up in Houston and San Antonio and Waco, you know, they're making the buyer arrests and they get very frustrated if, I'm not saying this has happened in all those jurisdictions, but I know that it has happened in some places. If law, if prosecutors are just like, yeah, uh, we don't have time for this. So we're going to so incentivize the prosecutors, incentivize law enforcement and deters. Sure. That's a huge one for us. Um, and like I said, we were greeted like we were from outer space when we said that four years ago. <laughs> now people are saying, you know, this probably, this is the way to, to get yeah. after this. 
Well, then that's, that's, I mean, that's a testament to perseverance and continuing to be faithful with the work and continue the conversation, educate the public, educate the legislators, which all you are doing and, and the coalitions that we've put together yes. uh, are, are doing together. That is absolutely 100% true. There's yeah. something I should stress is this isn't a message solely being sent by children at risk. If it was, it would not be being heard. Right. Other advocates, other groups like yourselves, Love People Not Pitch have been huge on this, uh, allies. There's just been a tremendous amount of support. And also in governmental agencies, we're starting to see some support too. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been uh, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of crew members on that vessel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other one we're looking at, there's been some really high profile cases of pimps recruiting out of residential treatment centers. These are where the most vulnerable kids are going in foster care, the ones with severe behavior problems, substance abuse problems. Pimps yeah. They are. They're not, it's not like it's hidden. They'll hang out in the parking lot or they'll hang out in the store across the street. They've got drugs. They're offering rides. Um, hmm. so what are we going to do about this? We wanted to put a zone around them. Uh, that lo- what, we, what we wanted was lower constitutional uh, protections while you're in this zone. Mm-hmm. We couldn't make the zone work because they, are, they could be next to a business or next to a home. Uh, we can't say the cops have the right to, and what I'm saying, the lower constitutional protections is, uh, the Supreme Court case, U.S. v. Terry, established what's the reasonable suspicion necessary for a Terry stop. So if a co- police officer sees you, he can't just say, hey, Adam, I just, something about you, man. I just yeah. don't like, I don't like that shirt. I right. want to see your ID. I want to know what you're, what you're doing here. I want to, I want to, I want, you know. So you have to, you have to be able to articulate a reasonable suspicion as a law enforcement officer to stop someone, ask them what they're doing, demand a CID. You know, uh, so what we've done is we're going to require the posting of no trespassing signs on the premises and parking lots of RTCs that automatically grants Terry stop powers to any officer. If you are on those premises, you're trespassing. I can stop you. No problem. And find out what you're doing. Sure. Uh, and if circumstances and probable cause is there, I can now search you. We can run your name. We can do all these kinds of things. Um, so that will get them off of the premises and out of parking lots. And we've connected that to higher criminal trespassing penalty. So if a police officer does believe, you know what, I think this guy is up to no good, but don't have enough to get him on anything close to trafficking or promotion of prostitution or compelling. I can get it. I can ding him with higher criminal trespass charges. Um, so this is a effective way that's low cost to protect more kids at RTCs. And I was asking him, well, this, could this disproportionately affect people of color, you know, people of color yeah. in RTCs? And, you know, that's a great question, but there's also children of color inside of these RTCs. And I've got to say, that's, as an advocate, that is who I'm most concerned about, is extremely vulnerable children. Along with that, we're going to make them gang-free zones and drug-free zones, which simply means there's higher criminal penalties for possessing uh, drugs or being a gang member uh, inside that zone, but exempting caregivers and parents of kids in RTCs from that. So if you're a Mm -hmm. parent, you've got your own issues, you've shown up with weed or whatever, you're not going to be dinged with the higher penalties, et cetera. Or if you had gang affiliation, you're not going to be. Gotcha. Yeah. The next one is, uh, so we talked a little bit about massage parlors and that's still just a huge problem. I know y'all do y'all doing, you know, yeoman's work around that. And I deeply appreciate all of what Elijah Rising is doing. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Parlors. And this is one of those places, one of those issues where I think we can all agree uh, we need better laws. Like there's Amen. no question. Advocacy is just not, cutting it here there's yeah. not the, there's not the tools in the toolbox to, to shut down these 900 800 900 yeah. across texas which um, which another shout out to love people not pixels whom we yes. work with so closely and joe and i i mean we're talking all the time and so yeah i mean this is a big challenge that not just elijah rising sees but there are other agencies yeah so keep going sorry <laughs> so yeah we want to tweak something we got passed in uh 
2017, which um, made operating a massage parlor that uh, a massage establishment without being properly licensed or operating it in violation of any local ordinance. So if you're Houston says shut them down at 10 o'clock at night, you're open to 11, you're, you're in violation is a deceptive trade practice. Now that's a right. civil suit. Deceptive trade practice, you or I could sue, you know, the mechanic who says he changed your rotators on rotators but on, on your brakes, but instead just shaved them down and put them in. You've got a deceptive mm. trade practice. He has deceived you. Uh, he has acted in a, ma- in a manner in business that is deceptive or fraudulent. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, we have a huge laundry list of things that are under Deceptive Trade Practices Act. You know, they run the gamut from gym memberships to, I mean, just all kinds of things in there that Texas considers to be prima facie deceptive. So we added the massage parlors in there in 2017. So that means the state attorney general's office can bring suits against these places on the behalf of the state of Texas. Mm. But, and that's great. And they're doing that. They're fine. They're, they're getting the cases. They're getting the cases out there and they're tremendous cases. But that's a the consumer protection division. You know, that's a small chunk of one state agency. Yeah. Um, we really want more folks to be able to use this. And when I say folks, I mean county attorneys and district attorneys to be able to use this DTPA remedy. And they can, but they can only get an injunction. And an injunction means you have to stop operating. Um, it doesn't, and it doesn't impose any kind of other penalty than that. That's all. That's all the state can use. That's all the local attorneys can use. The state, however, can get fined at twenty thousand dollars per occurrence. So every day you've been open, every time you put out an ad, all this wow. stuff, yeah. hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Yeah. And eventually, if you stay with it, you'll find the defendant who's going to be on the hook for some of that. Yeah, um, sure. But local government attorneys can't collect those fines. They don't have that power. We want to give them the power to collect those fines and mm. also keep 75% of those fines in home in the county where they are. Uh, this is powerfully incentivizing and it's not without precedent. We did this for a few years ago for something called notarial fraud. We didn't, but Texas, the state did. Uh, notaries in Mexico and Central America are quasi-legal. They have a lot of lawyer powers. Um, so immigrants who come here, they see a notary, they're like, well, thank goodness, I can get this time to land change or get my divorce or whatever you know, whatever gotcha. they want to do. Right. Scrupulous notaries who can't do this will take their money, right? Yeah, yeah. And so that's a deceptive trade practice too. And so they opened that up. It's the only one where local government attorneys can get can collect those fines and keep them for that. Why? Because in the Valley and other places, this is a scourge on vulnerable people and they want mm. to end it. And so how do we end it? We incentivize local government attorneys to do it. Same yeah. thing. If, 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 <laughs> if massage parlors aren't a scourge on the state of Texas, I don't know what is. So, yeah. we, so it's a small tweak. And I'm not going to say it's going to be easy because we are, we're, we're stepping into the AG's turf and, and I get that sensitive, you know, and they are, it's not like they aren't doing a great job. I just don't think they have enough manpower to get it done. Sure. That we have. And so that's going to be one. You talked about the landlord bill. We're tweaking that to bring it back. Uh, I'll talk about two of the most controversial we're going to have. Okay. Uh, one is going to be ATM registration. This also goes back to. Um, yeah. Uh, IMBs, but also illegal strip clubs and other sort of storefront brothels. They all have I. They all have um, ATMs, right? Right now, you or I could go out. You could go out and buy an ATM, Adam, on yep. eBay or lease it. You could put it in Elijah Rising, Rising offices. You contract with a third-party money transfer service. And they'll launder all the money we get. <laughs> you're good to go. <laughs> That's right. You're just, you're just good. And lots of people do that as a legitimate business. And yep. I'm not talking about them. I know. For a fact, I've met with law enforcement officers who have side hustles, but they have ATMs. They don't have an IMBs, but they have ATMs. Sure. It's, it's in the rural areas. It's a necessary. It's necessary. These, these white-level ATMs are part of the, the economic um, circulation system. But right now, it's the Wild West. There is zero regulation uh, of them. And 
unfortunately, in the society that we live in, I mean, I'm not saying all regulation is great, but bad people will take these things that mm. people use for good or at least neutral ends and use them to exploit and harm people yeah. under the proceeds and move the proceeds of their illegal activity. And that's what we're seeing. So we're calling for a registration where it's a complex, it's a more complex scheme than I wanted because the whole industry is kind of complex. Sure. But essentially, if you've got one and you put it in a business, it has to have a sticker on it. Just like gas pumps have a sticker saying this has been registered. And I, all enforcement can look that number up and determine who's registered, who's registered to. Mm-hmm. If you're a business, uh, that ATM in your business, well, it better be registered or you're going to get dinged as well. Um, what this allows us to do is put a name with where the money's going. Yeah. And generally, that's going to be someone who is involved in the business because we're talking about actual money now. We're not talking about a front man. Yeah. And for the listeners like who are like, why are these two guys so excited about ATMs? Like one of the things that we do in our awareness work is we actually, you know, try to help people understand what an IMB looks like and like what the red flags are. And the ATM is one thing that we always tell people. Like if there's if there's an ATM sitting at the front door, uh, that's one of the red flags. They all operate that way. Yeah. So that what a what a great policy to start crafting. That's, that's, that's awesome to hear. Thanks. We're excited about it. We think that officers who can seize these ATMs and look at them and get a positive name, we can start much, yeah. much more quickly to start doing financial uh, investigations of the financial crimes and other things and really take down the larger networks that are behind these places. Because the yeah. growing sense now among, among law enforcement and others is that a lot, very few of these people are operating solely independently, right? Sure. They're all connected, uh, to larger networks. And so that's yeah. really going to be the key. And they're making the amount of money they're making. is just, it's conscious. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Give give us one more, Jamie. All right. One more. Um, the last one is this last session. This is part of that Texas model that I was talking about earlier. Yeah. Where we changed buyer penalties for spellers. We kept the penalties the same, but for the uh, first offense, you mandatory probation and for the fourth offense, it's mandatory probation. And in addition to that, it gave them a streamlined path of non-disclosure for human trafficking victims. A non-disclosure is record sealing. It's not expunction, um, but it's record sealing. So only certain state agencies can see your criminal history if you get mm. something sealed through non-disclosure. Mm. And that's great. The procedure is nice. Uh, we're starting to see it get used. We actually did a big CLE. It's going to be on our website. If anybody wants to take that CLE, it's free on how to use it. But there is a couple. there are a couple of big gaps in there. And one of them, again, getting a little granular here, is finding a family violence. So family violence is not a crime in and of itself in the state of Texas. It's always a finding that's attached to a crime, assault, family violence, battery, family violence, sexual assault, family violence. It's either checked, either a box is checked on the cover of the order or it's in the order itself. This Mm. includes a finding of family violence. And the way we define family violence in Texas is violence against anyone in the same family or the same household. So if you and I live together, Adam, and you got up one morning and punched me in the face, Family violence, not only would it be assault and battery, it would be family violence. Gotcha. Okay. Given how trafficking victims, the circumstances they're in, they're very chaotic, they're surrounded by criminals, Um, their lives, there's always, there's usually substance abuse, it's a mess. Uh, It's not very difficult. And plus the fact that they often perceive their trafficker to be their boyfriend or their husband, it's not uncommon to see a finding of family violence in their record. Yeah. Finding of family violence prevents you from getting anything sealed in the state of Texas ever. If you've got that, you can't get your, you can't get a DUI sealed. You can't get prostitution charges sealed. You can't get anything sealed under this new provision either. So we're looking at a very narrow exception that applies only to human trafficking victims and only to the causes that they can seal under this new provision, which are prostitution, minor uh, misdemeanor possession of pot, 
misdemeanor theft uh, that would not bar them from getting those prostitution felonies sealed. Wow. wow. Family violence finding would still be there, but for a person who may have, you know, 14 arrests for prostitution, uh, yeah, right. getting these off the record is a big deal. Yeah, that's a huge deal. That's huge. Well, um, that sounds like a lot. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of work to be done, um, but it's good work. It's good work to be done. I, and we appreciate so much um, you kind of helping educate us on that. So, so let's take it one step further, though. So the average listener to this podcast, um, you know, maybe it's a mom uh, homeschooling her kid right now in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's a, a gentleman on his way, you know, to his oil and gas job uh, this, you know, this morning. What can the average citizen do? Like with all the stuff that you just shared, is there any place for the average person to get involved, to be helpful? Um, what's their role? Yeah, I absolutely think there is. Um, one is establishing, you don't have to establish a, a deep friendship, but establishing a relationship with your state rep and your state your state senator. Yeah. And by that, I mean, you know, take the time to call the office and you don't have to be super informed on the issue. You don't have to have to know bill names or bill numbers. Um, but you just let them know, you know, hey, I live, I'm so-and-so, I live here, I'm in your district, um, you know, I just want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me, I just want to let you know human trafficking is an important issue to me, mm. and I want to see Texas do more to address human trafficking in the, human, in the Texas legislature, and that's enough. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't matter who you're talking to in that office, it's going to get relayed, and putting, you know, they're, they're very, they're going to be, they're, they're local reps, they're going to be very responsive to what they think their constituency what their constituent tells them that they are sure. interested in or what's important to them. Um, far, even further than that, if I can uh, sort of plug our uh, advocacy alerts, you can sign up for those at our websites. We do a human trafficking newsletter. We're not as frequent as we should be, but there'll be one coming out pretty soon. Um, but we also have advocacy, alert, advocacy alerts throughout the legislative sessions. You can sign up for those. You'll find out where, where bills are that are affect children. What's the, what's the website for that, Jamie? Oh, www.childrenatrisk.org. Yeah, you'll find uh, not only human trafficking bills there, but we also, we also work in areas of nutrition, uh, education, parenting, and uh, new American citizens, new American children. So you'll get updates on where any bills affecting any of those issue areas are. But like when they go into, when bills go into committee, if your rep's on that committee or your senator's on that committee, that's a good time to call. Right. Um, and say, look, this bill's being considered SB, whatever, this bill is important. The trafficking is an important issue to me. I want to see you vote this out of committee or say whatever you want. But yeah. just again, that that reinforcement, I mean, it's amazing how much clout we have as citizens because they have to listen to us. They will listen to us. Yeah. If we just take the time to do it. And also, if anyone's feeling misgivings about this, they're going to be super nice to you <laughs> because you live in their district and, yeah, you're, yeah. Obviously, and you're obviously <laughs> taking the time to call. So you you know, they're going to be, don't feel like they're going to, you're wasting their time. They're going to be much nicer to you than they are, say, to me. Um, so they're always nice to us. Yeah. Um, but yeah. don't feel like they're going to reject you or anything. They're going to be glad that you called and glad to hear what you had to say. And just saying that is enough. But as the session goes on, follow what we're, follow what, yeah, this is not just going to be our bill. It's going to be all the bills. Yeah. Uh, follow and, and see what's interesting to you. And I'm always willing to talk to people too as about, as about, uh, about legislation that's, I'm a huge policy nerd, obviously, so um, I can't get enough of it, quite frankly. So, yeah. 
Well, we, we need we need uh, we need policy nerds. So thanks for being one, uh, being proud of that fact. So uh, let's just what's the timeline like? So like what's when is the session? When will these uh, bills you know come up for discussion? When will they be voted on? What should we expect mm-hmm. um, just in terms of timeline? So I'll just give you kind of a probably more of an answer that you want. So the way it works in Texas is a bill first gets drafted, whether it's, you know, a paragraph talking about what they want or an actual bill that's laid out. It gets sent to what's called legislative council. Legislative council formats that. They make sure it's, if it's affecting other codes, if that's dealt with. Um, and then they get return a, a, a fileable version. The rep can then file. Uh, November 9th, I believe, is the pre-filing date. So we start to see bills going in, and November 9th is when bills will start getting pre-filed. And always great to see bills, your bills, bills that you want to see pass get pre-filed because it, you know, we only have session once every two years. So right. this amount of legislation trying to be crammed through in a six-month yep. period. Absolutely. The session will start in January. The first month, it's a slower month. It's a great month for advocacy because while they're all getting their feet back underneath them and everybody's, you know, getting back in the swing of things, they're also not doing anything super important. They're going to probably be picking who's going to they're doing committee membership and committee heads and all this kind of stuff, but they'll also be um, doing a lot of housekeeping stuff. So it's a good time to start laying down that foundation of your message. Mm. Uh, February work really begins in earnest. March, things are starting to really heat up. April, things are spiraling out of control and crazy. May, we're all just like, hanging on to the last shreds of our sanity. And at the end of May, <laughs> the signy die when, when the legislative session will end. But bills will start probably going into committee. It's hard to say. I'm going to say as early as February, you'll start seeing bills start getting committee hearings. Um, and it really, and the typical life of a piece of legislation or how long it takes really depends on what kind of support it's got and how controversial it is mm-hmm. uh, and who's opposed to it, either up front or behind the scenes. Sure. Um, so it's hard to say. You know, our, we always try to, for the legislation that we champion, we want to get a, a legislator in the House and Senate so it's going through both sides. If you probably all remember this. I'm actually... I may be the only one to hear today who's old enough to remember Schoolhouse Rock, but <laughs> I get you. I get your reference, Jamie. Okay, <laughs> but you know it's got like if you start in the House, the House bill has to go through the House, get voted, and then goes through the Senate. Well, into the House, into committee, voted out of committee, to the floor, to the Senate, and then do the whole process again, and then boom, final vote. Yeah. We try to do both tracks at once, so we'll have an SB and an HB, so it meets, and you don't have to do the circulatory system twice, right? Um, so that's that's something we always try to get done as well. That can also that, but if something gets hung up in the House or the Senate, it, so you've got a House bill and a Senate bill, same thing. Buyer penalties, for example, in the House it's rocketing through, but in the Senate it just gets hung up. Maybe the committee's mm. overworked. Maybe um, it just didn't get filed. Maybe someone on the committee's against either, any millions of reasons why. Uh, but the House bill is going to have to make that journey uh, all by itself, right? And the Senate bill just sits, and that that it seems odd that you've got a Senate bill doing the same thing sitting in your Senate committee. Here comes the House bill. They're going to hear that and vote on that, the Senate bill. But sometimes that just, who can, who can. Right. It's. Government. It's, 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 yeah, exactly. It's a wonderful mystery. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, Jamie, I appreciate your time today. Um, super informative, first of all. Um, and again, I know I've said this a few times already on the episode, but like we, I just appreciate you and the work um, as a policy nerd and as an advocate. I mean, not, not just for children, but for victims, for, for uh, oppressed and marginalized peoples, man. The, the work that you're doing is just incredible. And so I just want to use the last couple minutes of the podcast. Like, what, uh, This is your space. Um, you want to promote something, or what Children at Risk is doing, some, an upcoming event or you know, work that you're doing, uh, what it's, it's yours. What do you want us to know? You know, I would very much like to see everyone get super involved with legislation this year. Um, please sign up for the advocacy, uh, alerts. Yeah. Um, if we've got any El Paso listeners, we're going to be in El Paso in the spring to try to build Cease El Paso. That's the anti-demand coalition and also the core group of men who work to actively disrupt, uh, sex purchases online safely, uh, and anonymously. So if you are interested in that, my, Please go to Children at Risk. My email's on there. Go to staff and find Jamie Carruthers, and you'll find me, but it's also jcarruthers at childrenatrisk.org. If you're in El Paso and you're interested in this kind of work, please let me know. Um, we're going to be doing retrainings in all of our cities, Houston, uh, North Texas, San Antonio, Austin, uh, and we're doing one in Corpus this weekend. But So if you're in those cities as well and you're a man and you want to get involved in this, and this is kind of like a men's only thing, it's it's not sexist. It's just this work, the buyers respond to far yeah. better to, to male interventions they do female um if you are to that please please let us know um outside of that you know all it's like we've wrapped up all of our major events for the year like we're kind of we're, everything is kind of turning into anti-demand yeah and legislative group. everything is kind of yeah. in, those, in those two areas but i would like to see people i would love to see people get more involved in legislation this year just even if again if that's just calling up your rep and saying hey this is an issue that I care about and I vote for you. So yeah. whether you vote for or not, <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I might vote for you. Absolutely. You yeah. I'm a concerned citizen. Do you want exactly. my vote or not? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Jamie. We appreciate, um, we appreciate your time today. And if you're, you know, if you're a listener to the podcast, you want to find out more work. Uh, if you want to find out more about the work that Jamie's doing, as he's already said, you can go to childrenatrisk.org. Um, and then, you know, uh, I always encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. If you are not already subscribed, if you're listening through Spotify or iTunes, don't forget there's a video version of this conversation on YouTube, um, and share it with your friends. Um, you know, we learned a few weeks ago that our podcast has reached six continents. Let's keep it growing. We appreciate you so much. And we will see you on the next episode of the Elijah rising podcast.